podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fell out with my old housemates because they all said I had no sense of direction. So I was I was furious. I packed up all my stuff and I write. <laughs> <laughs> There's the standard reaction for one of your jokes. So it's it's hit that about, kind of. It's about right. I would to be honest. If I get that, I'm pretty happy because there's been somewhere there's been nothing at the other end, right? So. So no, the, the key was I got it. So that was always helpful. Yeah. It went on longer than, you know, the recent jokes have been quite short and punchy. So this one went into like a, a second and third sentence. So interesting mm. development. But I'm going to give you an 8.3, Nate. Oh, straight in. Wow. I'll take that. Yeah. 8.5 last week, I believe. So It was. Yeah, you're two points yeah, down. Bit of a... Point two down, sorry. Bit of a, bit of a downturn. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Pad Hoc. I'm Lawrence Barreto and I'm joined by my mates and brilliant F1 journalists Nate Saunders and Chris Medland. Now it's been a few days since round two in Saudi Arabia. I wasn't there, Nate wasn't there, but Medders was. How was it? Love that. You called us brilliant journalists, which is rubbish anyway. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, we didn't even go. <laughs> um, yeah, and mates. When, when are your mates turning up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh Nate. He just gave you an 8.3 or an 8.2. Like, you, you yeah, scored well this morning. That was pretty savage of me. Probably I'm yeah. going to remember that for next um, week's joke. <laughs> yeah, you pull out a banger of a joke and you're getting a four, mate. Uh, Saudi was fine. Uh, it's never the most fun week. Um, and I don't know why I just end up shattered going there. It's not that far, but I think it's the timing of flights and things like that. Um, arriving at, like, 3 a.m. to your hotel on the day before and then... I got 90 minutes sleep thanks to the, uh, well, partly thanks to the FIA decision. So, um, yeah, I was knackered coming back as well. But in between was kind of fine. Stayed in a hotel that was right by the track so you could walk in, which was good. But because they increased security this year, you were kind of locked into there. So if you wanted to go anywhere else, you basically couldn't, which was bad. Uh, it was about it. <laughs> Played some mini golf. That was fun. I actually did do that. That was good. Um, that got organized by our good friend Tom Cooney who uh, helps with the promotion of the race. Um, and he basically was like, yeah, there's nothing anyone can do, is there? So let's try and find something for everyone to do. And it was called Groovy Golf. Nate would have loved it. It was this crazy mini golf place in the middle of Jeddah that was actually really fun, really fun. I See, mini golf, I don't mind. Mini golf's yeah. fine because anyone can do that. But Well, yeah. The, what was really entertaining about it is a little shout-out to Jonas Huttel, who is a Danish journalist um, who covers basically Haas. And he's very good at golf. But he's not very good at mini golf. <laughs> so it was quite funny seeing someone you know is very, very good at golf, even standing and kind of going through their putting routine. And then, you know, a, a windmill is ruining their day. <laughs> it was really funny. There's the train. Did you hear it, guys? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Nate. I was, just, I was just waiting for it to pass before we talked. <laughs> uh, now, Nate, you were in the ESPN studios, am I right? I was. Yeah, I was in our London Hammersmith studio before the race. And is it a new show that you guys are running this year? Yeah, it is. So um, it's uh, it's a, a digital show for our YouTube channel um, ahead of races. Or, well, it depends. Ahead of some races, after some, depending on time zones, etc. Obviously, the US being four, well, four hours behind right now, five hours behind on the East Coast most of the time. Um, until our clocks change on Sunday, I believe, this week. I, I lose track. I just let my phone tell me what time it is. 
yeah, don't get caught out by that because our wheel-to-wheel show that we recorded before Jeddah, I even got your colleague Lawrence Evanson on that and I told him it was one o'clock and at 20 past 12, the guy's like ringing being like, where the hell are you? Oh, no. Because, yeah, the time zone was only four hours different rather than five. Oh, damn. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. It, I think, yeah. But anyway, anyway, so, yeah, I was I was in the studio and um, I was on for about 10 minutes of the show um, before the race, which was great fun, hoping to do more of that. Um, and it's just good fun. It's, and it's, I was the only English person on there. It shows you the, the interest from, um, uh, from America, you know, just how much it's growing. There's a lot of people within ESPN who want to be part of those shows, you know, people that have some, some knowledge, some people who've got a lot of knowledge, but everybody's kind of like, I want to get involved in Formula One, which is, um, which is really different to how it was a few years ago, even, you know, pre pre pandemic, definitely, you know, there was limited if, if that interest, and it just shows you that, you know, how much it's changed. So um, pretty cool. And even in a season like this, we still had quite a lot to talk about, which I think is one of the cool things about Formula One, right? There's always a few narratives and storylines to talk about. Yeah, there's always something ticking along, whether it's off track or on track slightly further back, I think, even though Red Bull are dominated this season um, and so, so far ahead. We've still got other things, Fernando, like Aston Martin. Yeah. There's so many great stories, McLaren's difficulties, Ferrari's struggles. We've still got plenty to talk about. Yeah, we do. And yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how long that goes on for this year uh, as the season stays the same. Um, but yeah, it was um, it's, it's very cool. So I'm, I'm glad to have I'm glad to have taken part in that, done that. I'm not sure um, how it will look going forward, but we're hoping to do live shows on location in Miami, Austin and Vegas, which would oh, be amazing, nice. especially the Vegas one. I can imagine that being unbelievable, kind of doing a you know, pre or post race show there, just you know, given what the paddock looks like. So, yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Need to get you a uh, sequined jacket, Nate. Um, that... Yeah, well, I feel like for Vegas, I'm I'm happy to wear something a little bit out there. I feel like all of us have to. Very for much Vegas. so. It's kind of, I was going to wear, I'm going to get one of those things from the hangover, you know, like a baby holder with a little <laughs> yes, <laughs> and just wear that around, but maybe have... But are you going to have, have a baby like a in it? Fernando, have a Fernando Alonso doll in there or something, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> something like that. But I don't know, I want it to, I want it to be respectful. I don't know if that if that is respectful. That's how it's intended doesn't sound respectful does it it's intended to be i'm not carrying around fernando alonso he's carrying aston martin around at the moment. <laughs> that was good i like nice. that i like that yeah um i want to slightly go back to your amazing show that you did on sunday morning yes uh having just not been listening for a while uh how did it go after the show <laughs> yes i was going to bring this up uh so i went into the went into the london office um so i live in reading now which is about you know 45 minute drive on a good day from Reading to London, drove into our studio and, you know, my, my intention was watch the race there, do the work in the, in the office. Cause you know, the show finished right at, at lights out. So the idea being, you know, you go and watch the race, you go and do all your work there, etc. you know, pretty standard plan, drive in, have my shirt and everything, you know, in the back of the car, you know, feeling pretty good. I drive in, traffic's not too bad. Get to the studio, pick my bag up, pick my shirt up. And I'm like, Oh, the bag's a bit light. I don't know why that is. You know, so I walk into the walk into the studio, walk into the office, get there, say hi to my colleagues, open my bag up, and I realise that I have left my laptop in Reading <gasps> at home. So, I mean, I still could have worked at the office, but like Lawrence Edmondson, who Chris just mentioned, was in Saudi, and I was I when you're working at home, you kind of you know you're more on like a programming kind of role where you're putting things on the site, subbing things, etc. So to not have your laptop with you is a pretty big deal, and no one in the office, we don't have like desktop computers there now. Everyone brings their laptops in. So I had to finish the show and I made a call. I was like, I'm going to listen to it on Radio 5 Live and drive home, um, risking 
the fact that it could have been the craziest Saudi race we've ever seen. Um, but I did that, and luckily it was the opposite of that. So when I got in with about about eight laps left, um, and I'd been listening on the radio, um, which was Jack Nichols and Alice Powell, which was actually really, really good. I hadn't listened to a race on the radio for must be over 10 years, which was quite nice as well. You know, I remember sometimes if, you know, if you were coming back from something late on a Sunday, like I'm missing the start of the race, you'd put, and it used to be Morris Hamilton and David Croft then, didn't it? You'd put five live on. So that was quite nice. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of an error on my side and I got away with it, which is, it's the best kind of error to make an error that you just get away with and, <laughs> and don't have to, don't have to live with any ramifications at all. There's the, they're the best mistakes to make. Um, but no, I mean, it wouldn't, it wasn't a huge issue because, you know, driving back didn't take me too long. Um, and it was interesting listening to it when you can't see the race as well. Is it, uh, you know, it's an interesting, um, we're so used to seeing the TV coverage and being plugged into, you know, the radio and, when you're not actually there looking at times and looking at audio, sorry, looking at, at video, when you've just got audio to rely on, it's actually a much different experience, I think, um, listening to a race, you know, and fair play to Jack. He does a great job of conveying what's going on um, at the time. So, Well, I should, for my sins, admit, I have not listened to a race from Five Lives Commentary for ages either. And that's what we kind of play out on Sirius XM. Yeah, like yeah. Live pre and post race shows I do at uh, uh, either side of that. So... Uh, I'm glad you just gave it a ringing endorsement because it means other people should listen to the radio, mainly in America and Canada. And if anyone has the app, I mean, that is still, I believe, is still played through the app as well. So if you if you listen to a race that way. Um, but I, I actually mute that during races, not because I don't like Jack's voice, uh, but because it's slightly out of sync, isn't it, to what we're seeing. It's about 30 seconds behind. Mm. So you're kind of getting things, you know, and it doesn't quite sync up. But um, but no, yeah, definite ringing endorsement of, uh, of that because it's, it's very good. Good. At least you listened to the race. Bretta, did you even follow it? So I <laughs> I gave myself Friday <laughs> and Saturday completely off. I didn't even look at my phone. I didn't look at anything. And then Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, I quickly watched the quality highlights. And then I watched the race on the train home from Edinburgh on F1 TV, which was an, a uh, unique experience as well. One, the data held up for the whole journey. That's no, uh, That really surprised me. Secondly, um, watching it on a small screen when you're surrounded by like people who aren't that fussed is a bit of a surreal experience as well. Because I just had my headphones on, I was in my own little world and stuff. Um, and actually, I didn't think it was that bad of a race when I was watching it. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to disagree. Uh, Nate's like compressed his lips well, together as if you, to say you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> well, no, because so, I listened to it and I was like, I, it, it feels weird going into another race and not having watched that race. So I caught the I caught the replay, the rerun on Sky that evening. And I was watching it and I was like, this is even more processional than it sounded on the radio. Oh, no. There was probably, if you take away Stroll's move on signs and Lewis's move on signs, there was really nothing, you know, of any note. And I mean, to be fair, that's, you know, still two, two overtakes. Uh, Magnuson on Yuki. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. Three things. There was that. Three uh... And then there was the McLaren drama that just could not get any more tragic. That they finally had a good qualifying. Oscar's up there. Bit of debris. Yeah, our team will, team will show what they can do now. And he gets, yeah, I mean, I don't know how his front wing broke in that contact anyway. That seems, yeah. that's a pretty flimsy front wing for it to break in the first place. Even more flimsy for it to then fly back and take out Lando's car. So that was so unlucky. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things, isn't it, when when you're in this kind of situation McLaren's in, it's that whole, it doesn't rain, it pours type thing where it's just, they must just be like, 
how how could things get any worse than they are right now? These things tend to turn around, though, don't they? Like, yeah, they, you, you and McLaren have done it before. Like, I, I think they're in a bad situation, but they'll probably, by Imola time, I think they'll be okay. Now, I don't think we should talk about the race anymore, because, of course, the best way to look back on the race yes. is Nate's 60-second review. If you've only got one minute to spare, wanna know who finished when and where, sit back, relax, cause we got you, here's Nate with the 60-second review. Hello there. Welcome to the review of the 2023 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I'm sure we'll all agree the greatest race in Formula 1's history, the high watermark. Drink it in, people. It's never going to get better than that. Of course, I kid. I hope, for the love of God, it does get better. Anyway, let's get on with this review, shall we? First position, Sergio Perez, a freak in the streets and a gentleman in the streets as well. See what I did there, a little bit of Beyonce. But he was, he was very kind, wasn't he? Very nice, listens to his team, unlike Max Verstappen, uh, who didn't listen to his team, but did get a point as a reward for that. So, you know, sometimes being a bad boy does count. Shout out to Jos Verstappen, the saddest dad in the world. Third position, Fernando Alonso is so good, he scored 468 podiums in the space of a few hours. George Russell cruelly denied a podium, kind of, but not really. Lewis Hamilton, a gentleman's drive to fifth in the number two Mercedes. Carlos Sainz, I'm going to give him the mantle of uh, Lance Stroll, of just being there. He's just there every week, isn't he? He was there again. Charles Leclerc was seventh, would have been better without the penalty. Eighth and ninth position, probably the best showing of French solidarity since 1789. It's Ocon and Gasly for the Alpine team. And in tenth position, just like Eurovision, Kevin Magnussen with a point for the Danes and for Haas, but mainly for the Danes. Um, a few other shout-outs. Shout-out to Oscar Piastri. He was pretty good. And then part of his car bounced off and hit Lando. So that's how McLaren's getting on at the moment. And shout-out to everyone else who didn't finish in the points. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually great showing of French solidarity uh, once it started. But, um, but yeah. But yeah, so we were like stepping on the review territory when we were talking about McLaren. See, But it's fine. Well, I do apologise for that. Um but it needed it needed mentioning because it was so unlucky. But oh, I, I mean it's, I it's, much it's had two ways you handled that. Yeah, and it's fair because it was so unlucky. Now, Lawrence, I could see you wincing when I said the Carlos Sainz bit. I know you're I know you're big fr- you're good friends with Carlos. You like Carlos. It's not a dig. It's just um I've just expected more from him this season and he's not been he's not delivered so far. I know the car's not great, but I don't know. I think I just, he's I, He's struggling more, isn't he, than than Charles? Yeah, he's off Charles in both qualifying and the race, and um, I think there is a significant amount of frustration there because I think you're right; the car is not any good, but he's still off um, across the whole weekend. He's not finding any rhythm. He can't find the setup early enough in the weekend, and that's putting him on the back foot. Um, yeah. And like, I, I know that he managed to, when Lance passed him, he managed to keep up with him, didn't he? I think for for as long as Lance survived, but the pace he just was not going to make any progress from that point you kind of like you said you kind of knew he wasn't going to do it for whatever reason so yeah i can't yeah. i mean i winced but i mean it's factually correct he's had a pretty yeah yeah difficult I mean, start to the year and it's interesting isn't it when when drivers are struggling to match their teammate that's one thing but when you're also struggling with a car i feel like it, it's like it's like with danny ricardo right was was it wasn't just he wasn't able to match lando but he was he was he was doing well he was struggling with the car as well now ferrari aren't quite in that same position but like, I feel like it almost becomes it becomes more magnified when because everyone's looking at you like the, car, the the car's not great, but they're looking at who's doing the better job of the two the two drivers. So, wonder how that will play out. You mentioned no Stroll getting ahead of him. What a move that was, by the way. <laughs> yes, and I should have given Stroll a shout out in the review because that was mega. I feel like over two races, 
Stroll has has had like the biggest turnaround from a PR perspective in in Formula One's history because fair play, like he's pretty good. Like he's always he's driving pretty well. Like I think he's he's clearly a step behind Fernando, but that's not. I don't think that's that insulting to say, right? He's a step off one of the great drivers of all time. Um, but he's not he's not being he's not being humiliated by Fernando, and he's you know he he didn't think he'd race these two races, so I think um I think he's doing really well. Yeah, I think his pace in more in Bahrain. I mean, we didn't really get to see it in Saudi because he made the early stop, didn't he? And then as soon as he came out, he had that problem because yeah. you could see. I think Carlos got ahead of him in the pit stops easily because obviously his pace had dropped off. But um, up to then it had looked okay. Bahrain's pace was I thought really impressive for how unfit he must have been, um, and the fact that he'd already clattered into Fernando once and he had to do some overtaking and stuff to finish as close as he did was damn impressive. So it's going to be interesting to see. I reckon there's going to be some races this year, I'm going to put it out there now, where Stroll at least matches Fernando, if not like out-qualifies him once or twice, mm. that will really make people go, geez, where's that come from? Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Fernando handles that, because I don't think it'll happen that often. There's just a lot of races, so there's going to be enough chances, but it will be strange, won't it, to see yeah. Alonso out-qualified by Stroll. Well, I'm going to call it now. I've been thinking about this. I, I actually agree with you, man. I think, what's, I think the way this is going to play out is... Over the course of the season, Fernando's the better driver. But you know there's going to be a race this season where Aston have the chance to win. Red Bull hit some issues. Maybe there's a safety car. I think when that happens, Stroll wins that race. Oh, I just what like a that's call. Kind of way, that's the way this season is going. You've got like, you've got the, a bit, <clears throat> again, to use the Ricardo example, it's exact what happened in 2020. He was struggling all year. He wasn't matching Lando, but then Monza came around. And for whatever reason that weekend, he was just on it. And then that situation opened up for Stappen, Hamilton collided. And it was Ricardo, not Norris, who took the initiative in that race. You can just see that happening with, with Fernando, just given the way his career's gone. Given the fact that, you know, he just, this whole wrong place, wrong time thing seems to be a thing with him. He's in the right place Until now, now yeah. Until now. But I feel like he's still got some, like, some of that bad juju there somewhere that's going to come back to him in a, in a, in a great situation. He's going to, like, he'll get hit. It wouldn't even be his fault he'll get like a puncture on the first lap or something you know and then Stroll will be in the position and suddenly it all opens up and Stroll wins it you know so after all those accolades all those Fernando Alonso chants that Aston do it will be Stroll who wins which and it's always nice when someone wins their first race so that would be kind of a cool storyline but it'd be great to see how Alonso dealt with that because I think he likes the plaudits doesn't he He likes being the man um, I don't know how much you'd like standing around and celebrating someone a teammate's win I don't know like he's already said so many nice things about Lance already, right? Since joining the team, calling him world champion, champion material. So I imagine if it does happen, yeah. he'll just go, well, I called it, didn't I? I called that well, he, he gets, you know. <laughs> I think yeah, he gets half a mil every time he says that, though, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence just pays him a bit more money. Like, thanks, Fernando. Appreciate it. Um, but you're right. And to be fair to Alonso, he wasn't, he wasn't that much of a diva about Ocon winning, was he? In Hungary, 21. He was actually very... That's well, true. I mean, because he was like... I made this happen <laughs> by holding mm. Hamilton off. So he made it about himself, but he was happy with it. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's maybe what he'll do. I don't know. I do feel like Alonso's slightly changed this year as well. And I don't know if it's partly because of the fact that he has found himself in the right place at the right time for once. Um, that he's just seems so much more chilled. And like that, there was an honesty to him in Bahrain when he got asked, yeah, do you think you can win a race this year? I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but you know the question came in like, you know, you've just finished third in the first one, so can you can you get your thirty third win this year? Uh, is that likely? And I thought, you know, classic Alonso would be like, no, Red Bull are so far ahead, it would take something miraculous for me to win a race. Like, 
I will have to do something superhuman so that when he did win a race, that he could be like, wow, <laughs> I am incredible. But instead he was like, yeah, I mean, when you're finishing third in the first race and there's 23 of them, probably at some point it'll come your way. And that was so un Alonso from the past, I thought. So I do think he's mellowed a bit. Um, and it seemed to be talking to some of the team members who'd worked with him at McLaren. They just think he got so fed up at McLaren like, and with F1 at that time that he really did get like difficult to be around and, and the atmosphere in the team wasn't great. Once Carlos and Lando came in, they were suddenly like, oh, wow, this is so different. Like We didn't realise the impact Fernando was having. But since coming back, Fernando's had a reset of his priorities and how much he like enjoys being part of F1 and what he wants to get to, that he's, he doesn't have that impact. So um, I thought that's fairly understandable for how long he was grinding at it and what the McLaren Honda era turned into. Uh, but yeah, he just seems to be a little bit more positive, I think, at the moment. I also think, though, he knows he's got a good car, right? So he knows that weekend in, weekend out, he's going to be there and he doesn't need to blow his own trumpet so much anymore because the car is almost going to do a lot of the work for him and he's just going to try and make the most out of it. I guess it's just got to stay reliable now. But I was never... I was never sure how I'd feel about like a Fernando coming back and like delivering on this expectation that we've talked about for how many years now. But I kind of like it. Like I like the fact that he's now got a car where we can actually see whether or not he was gen- being genuine. Like is he genuinely as good as he he's always been? Is he better than he's been before? And in a in a season where it looks like Red Bull are going to dominate and Ferrari are going to struggle and Mercedes aren't going to be consistently challenging. Like having him there as this wild card who at any point will always stick it down the inside at turn one on lap one and just doing that consistently, even if that's all we get this year, I still think that's exciting. I think it's great to have him there. I think we'd, Formula One, would it would be sad if he wasn't around. Yeah, agreed. I was a bit sceptical when he came back as well because I was like, what's he, what's he contributing if he's just going to be in the midfield? You know, kind of that frustrating story of Fernando Alonso getting the most out of this car, but he's finishing eighth every week. Um, it's great. I'm really enjoying it. It's kind of like, it's, it feels right. Doesn't it? When Fernando's up there, you're just like, this is how things are meant to be. Um, and yeah, to, to be fair to him, he waited like longer than most. I mean, look how, look how frustrated Lewis is with his car. And he's, he's had a bad car for what a year and a bit. And he's already de- very downbeat, despondent. You know, you're starting to wonder, you know, how long is Lewis going to stick around for Fernando's, kind of be in that in that position for or before this season for every season he he had an f1 from 15 onwards you know where he was just like yeah the car's not great it's it's like at best is is competitive to be like fighting behind the podium position so yeah i was gonna say go back to 14 even he finished sixth in the championship with that yeah first ferrari of the turbo hybrid era so well i think what because i think what you're doing right now matt is what i did the other day is like looking through his results and you you forget until you see it written yeah. down just how bad that mclaren spell was like those first three yeah. seasons like the results they got there he was he was spending like some of the best years of his of his career just finishing out of the points and just driving him and button you know mclaren had so, so much talent in their driver lineup and their car couldn't even get those guys on the podium it was absolutely insane so the fact that he he went away for a year makes complete sense. Like anyone would have done that. And then he came back kind of refreshed and I'm glad he did. Um, fascinating to think, imagine if he hadn't come back or if he'd turned down Aston last year, someone else had gone and would be saying, can you believe Alonso turned this down again? So I'm glad he, I'm glad he's changed that narrative as well, because you know, it, it's a good, it's a good way to spin it around with the last move of your career, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a shame Red Bull are so far up front really, isn't it? Yes. Then it would be really good. Yeah, true. Although you love that, Matters, apparently. From, <laughs> according to, uh, well, I read. I like the way that got 
Yeah, I got. I like the way that that got framed. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was genuinely asked. It's like um, for a column this week for Motorsport Magazine. They were like, wanted to, wondered if you want to touch upon kind of the apathy towards you know one man dominating this season, and like the reaction seems to be really adverse to it, like more so than in the past. Even though it was only three years ago or two, yeah, three seasons ago that we had exactly this uh, and had it for a long time. Uh, and I'd actually been talking to some people about it anyway. I was like, yeah, sure, because. Like it's it happens in Formula One. Like it happens a lot. We don't want it, but it's stuff like this that makes the mega seasons so good because you know how hard it is for two teams to end up as the best two teams in the sport and so closely matched that you can have a proper championship fight between the two drivers. Like normally we talk about Fernando, like you think twenty twelve. Like he didn't even have the car, really. That that car wasn't as good as the Red Bull, but somehow managed to stay in that fight by just being almost faultless all season. Um and it, okay, it didn't come together for him, but you you sometimes like you need a driver to perform incredibly to stay in a title fight if the cars aren't quite matched. Twenty twenty one was just the perfect storm. I think we had two of the best drivers, proper you know one nearer the end of their career. I know like we won't retire Lewis, but then one obviously finally getting his proper first shot at a championship, but has been touted for ages to do it. And they had the cards that meant that they would often together on track it wasn't like oh this track this one's good this track that one's good and and they stay apart um because was it 2000 was it lewis's championship year in 2008 you rarely saw hamilton and massa race each other yeah it was just that the at one race it would be a mclaren track and the next race would be a ferrari track and they just kind of traded blows like that yeah you're right and that's kind of what's why 21 stood out was because the two protagonists were like you know 14 and 16 it was just two cars against each other from the same team but yeah, you're right. It was two two guys that literally they they were like every race almost. It was like one of these two guys is going to win the race, which would be mm. great. But then then so with um, now, I was just kind of making the point that. But this is what happens regularly in Formula One: is one team tends to get it right, um, and therefore it's only a fight between their two drivers. Sometimes even it's not even a fight between the two, depending on the way they're set up, like the Schumacher years. But that's what makes like the. A, knowledge of what they're doing is so impressive because obviously Red Bull are doing it now. Merck had been doing it before. Ferrari have been doing it before. It's not just one team that's dominated over the past 50 years or something. But two, then you know when someone does catch them and when you do get proper races and when you do get a proper title fight, like how hard someone's worked to close that gap, like what's gone into it, like it, the kind of crescendo of everything coming together is mega. And that's why we had one of the best seasons, if not the best season ever in 21 until the end. So... When you put all that, like, that was the point I was making was, like, the, this is part of Formula One in a sense. That And it's just, it, to be fair, I could have ranted on for way longer as well because it's the same with any sport. You look at like, the Premier League and there's been years that Man City have totally <laughs> dominated or United were dominating or whatever. And then you get the epic season that even I can recall of City and Liverpool being separated by one point. Um, the two of them, like, both setting records and things where it was toe-to-toe all the way to the final game. That's epic. Or the year that uh, City won their first title and, and scored in the last minute to beat United to the championship. Like those few, They're not every season either. There's normally a standout like favourite in sports. So it was kind of saying, yeah, like it sucks. We don't want it. You, don't, you, know, you want the epic seasons. But they're made epic because this is the reality of certain ones just because that's sport. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, Lewis, I think Lewis's quote, was interesting to see the reaction because most people said you know he said red bull's the fastest car i've ever seen i think um you know lewis probably not has a short memory but it's probably the first time he's been in a car and seen another car as quick as his mercedes used to look um mm. but he's being overtaken by it um 
But I think you're right to a, to a degree. I think the, the bigger thing for me, I think the reason that there's been more of an adverse reaction is we've got a much newer fan base in Formula One now. So it's probably a lot of people. I know a lot of fans who came in and watched 21 mm-hmm. and then would said, oh my God, this is the norm for this sport. This is this is it. Like this is kind of every year is going to be similar to this. And I, I did say to myself, I was like, guys, you've got to really enjoy this. It was why, you know, the end of, I mean, the end of 21 was frustrating anyway, but it's why it's so frustrating to think about because it did just ruin such a great season that we're, you know, one that we're never going to see similar again. Um, but I think as well, on top of that as well, like it's easy to overlook the fact that last year, I know last year Max was completely dominant as well. Right? And and I feel like this, there was enough drama in it through the season. You know, you had Red Bull, sorry, uh, Ferrari close at the start of the year. You had Mercedes with all their issues and then getting the win in Brazil. I feel like there was enough going on that you could kind of distract from the fact that, oh, Max just won 15 races or whatever it was. And yeah. Perez won two. Was it two other races? Yeah. So mm. between, between them, they won the majority of races in the season by comfortable comfortable margin you come into this season and you're suddenly like well those those dramatic moments from ferrari from mercedes probably less likely to happen maybe aston can get in the mix for a win um so yeah i just feel like i feel like it's it's got a lot of things that are going to turn people off like even in 2014 for example when mercedes turned up with that car i think that it felt new it felt different and that came after red bull had dominated for four seasons you know you had this great rivalry and that was genuine as well hamilton rosberg you knew that it was close whereas i think Verstappen Perez, like I know we've all been talking about this fastest lap nonsense, but like no one believes Perez is going to take the fight to Max over the course of a season. There's no evidence to suggest he can do that. Like I like I like Perez, you know, I I really rate him. I'm glad he's had this opportunity at Red Bull, but he's not going to win the championship. And you know that from this far out. And I think that more than anything is kind of what puts a damper on it. I feel like in those dominant years with with Lewis, there was at least a shred of doubt that, you know, can he do it? Uh maybe not as much of a, a doubt as I'm making out, but you at least went into the years being like, well, you know, Bottas could, you know, we always had that Bottas 8.5 or whatever it became in the end. Um, so I don't know. But I, I do agree with you for the most part, but I think there are there are reasons why this one feels worse than, than other years as well. Well, like you say, like last year, because of the way Ferrari started, after the third race, everyone was talking about Ferrari walking it and how depressing that was going to be, that off the back of an epic season, we had a dominant mm. year, even though it would be Ferrari. They were like, oh, the clerk's going to have this sewn up by mid-season. Yeah. And then... It is the fact that, so it's still, even though then Red Bull got dominant very quickly, it took a little while to overturn the deficit. So it actually looked fairly close in the championship for a while. There were still races that Ferrari were right there. This time they started with such an advantage that you just assume that's how it's going to be. And it, you know, hopefully we'll be talking later in the year and it has closed up a bit and the races are more exciting, but they might already have the buffer that means that the titles are safe. Hmm. The other one is, understandably as well, it is with the cost cap stuff from last year, which... I think in reality, when you look at the numbers involved and when it got got it properly explained, it was it was a minor breach. It's a minor thing. It really wouldn't lead to this amount of performance yeah, no. advantage, but it it could have some. You can't say you know if you spent more money than someone else, you you spend it wisely. You're going to get some sort of gain, but because that came off the back of twenty one as well and the anger at that, there was a lot of fans that were unhappy that they felt Red Bull had cheated to a championship, and therefore that rolling into them keeping their dominance they think is part of that too. So I can see why that kind of where that anger comes from or where that annoyance comes from because yeah, it's Red Bull that is dominant. But the point was never like in the article that, yeah, I think annoyed a few people. It wasn't, it's great that Red Bull is dominating and it wasn't great that we have dominance. It was, but Formula One has these dominant years, which are what make the other ones so bad. You know, A, they're impressive when a team dominates anyway, but B, uh, it's what makes the not, well, the more competitive years uh, much more exciting. 
So, um, yeah, some people, I think, took it as, you just want Red Bull to <laughs> win and cheat and stuff. It's like, no, no, nobody wants that. Nobody wants anyone to be walking it like this. And it is just a bit depressing because also, as you've mentioned, Nate, you've got Fernando Alonso up there in a competitive car. Like, Lewis is still racing very well. We keep giving him a hard time because George pipped him at this race. He, like, out-qualified him fine when Lewis was really unhappy. But in the race, they were basically both there. Yeah, um, they are. Those just, two are super close together, yeah. Yeah, Lewis got the better of him in Bahrain, but it's it was almost like that got forgotten straight away because of what happened last year. So everyone's like, "Oh, George is wiping the floor with Lewis." It's like, no, they're pretty pretty damn closely matched right now. I don't know. I guess on championship standings, Lewis is probably ahead, isn't he? Based on how he did in Bahrain, yeah, he is. Um, so it's one of those where um, we've got some great drivers near the front. They're so close, and the quality of the grid. Even even our good friend Ben Hunt at the Sun admitted this um, in Jeddah. He said, "There's no one." Like that is bad on the grid anymore. There's no crap driver that you go, they've just bought their way in or you know they're just there for sponsorship reasons. Everyone is, their minimum standard is very high. So it would be great if it was close. And it's so close from second place to 10th place, as in teams. Like nine of the 10 teams are really closely matched. Yeah. But there's only one that's not part of that group. And normally that would be off the back, but instead it's off the front. So that's what's annoying. Well, I feel like you guys have covered that off so succinctly that I've got nothing. We've just fixed Formula 1 for you, Lawrence. You can go and tell Stefano. Yeah. I'll, uh, uh, I'll go pass that on. Minute. I'll put it into bullet point form. Um, and then, you, yeah, it might be. Might it be was best. a bit ranty. Yeah, yeah. I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's because it's I missed part of the show because um, I, I got a call. There's some news coming this afternoon that I've got to get ready for. Um, so it, it'll have come out by the time. I don't actually know what it is. I just know the team it relates to. But um, it'll have come out by the time that this goes live. So I can pretend... Well, no, I can say that I knew because it's not going to be breaking to anyone. But yeah, um, some news coming out around lunchtime. So I had to take a phone call about that, which means, did we talk about your uh, playing the world number 20 at squash? No, we didn't. But that's okay. We need to finish on that. No, I feel like we kept it. Because that's genuinely very, very cool. Um, So um, one of the perks of not going to Saudi Arabia was I got to go to the Canary Wharf Classic, which is a squash tournament in the UK in London. Uh, in the business district and they basically pop up a <clears throat> glass squash court in the middle of a foyer um, of the banking district and I went in um, on day two of the tournament uh, and had a hit while the doors opened so I was the pre pre-tournament entertainment um, and I hit with the world number 20 Baptiste Massotti um, we had about a half an hour 45 minute hit I um he obviously ran me ragged. He obviously played two or three levels below <clears throat> what he's completely capable of. But he came off the court having looked sweaty, stressed, tired. So I feel like that was a good that was good for me. I managed to win three successive points at one point and got to I think eleven six. It's wow, uh, so I got like a few good points in it, but um, it was a great experience. He gave me some great tips and things that I can improve on and stuff. Um, and I feel like I'm getting better. So, uh, and he's a Formula One fan as well. So we had some Formula One chat. So yeah, it was a really, really cool, cool thing to do. Was he then playing in the tournament afterwards? No, no, he played the night before. Uh, good. So... I was going to say, just do you ruin him before he had to go out <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> he suddenly drops out of the tournament early, like so yeah. Up- upset defeat and he's like i just played barretto i blame barretto no no if anything right i think it's had a positive impact he's in the quarterfinals of this week's tournament at wimbledon he's on a great run beat the one number four yesterday so uh, actually i think i've had a positive impact on him and you know i'm not going to take too much credit but is there anything that barretto can't do oh there's plenty there's absolutely plenty but um 
yeah, I'm going to... It's not a time like this, I think I could have been a squash player, guys. Not a very good one, but I would have given it a go. Never too late. Never too late. <laughs> oh, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Um, on that bombshell, I'm going to call it quits. Thanks very much for your time, chaps. It's been a pleasure as always. You can follow us on our social channels at The Padhock. You can read Nate's work on ESPN.com, Menace's work on Racer.com, and my work on F1.com. And we'll be back to do this again very, very soon. Bye. Goodbye. Podcast Network.